0: book one chapter twenty of the crossing by winston churchill this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter twenty the campaign ends if i am obliged to storm you may depend upon such treatment as is justly due to a murderer and beware of destroying stores of any kind or any papers or letters that are in your possession or of hurting one house in the town for by heaven if you do there shall be no mercy shown you to lieutenant-governor hamilton so read colonel clark as he stood before the log fire in monsieur bouton's house at the back of the town the captains grouped in front of him is that strong enough gentlemen he asked to raise his hair said captain carlville captain bowman laughed loudly i reckon the boys will see to that said he colonel clark folded the letter addressed it and turned gravely to monsieur Bonton. you will oblige me sir said he by taking this to governor hamilton you will be provided with a flag of truce." monsieur Boton was a round little man as his name suggested and the men cheered him as he strode soberly up the street a piece of sheeting tied to a sapling and flung over his shoulder through such humble agencies are the ends of providence accomplished monsieur bontemps walked up to the gate disappeared sideways through the postern, and sat down to breakfast in a very short time monsieur bontemps was seen coming back and his face was not so impassive that the governor's message could not be read thereon "'Tis not a love letter he has, I'll warrant,' said Terence, as the little man disappeared into the house. So accurately had Monsieur Bonton's face betrayed the news, that the men went back to their posts without orders, some with half a breakfast in hand, and soon the rank and file had the message. Lieutenant Governor Hamilton begs leave to acquaint Colonel Clark, that he and his garrison are not disposed to be awed into any action unworthy of british subjects our men had eaten their enemy was within their grasp and clark and all his officers could scarce keep them from storming such was the deadliness of their aim that scarce a shot came back and time and again i saw the men fling themselves in front of the breastworks with a war-hoop wave their rifles in the air and cry out that they would have the hair buyer's skulk before night should fall it could not last not tuned to the nicer courtesies of warfare the memory of hamilton's war parties of blackened homes of families dead and missing raged unappeased these were not content to leave vengeance in the lord's hands and when a white flag peeped timorously above the gate a great yell of derision went up from river bank to river bank out of the postern stepped the officer with the faded scarlet coat and in due time went back again haughtily his head high casting contempt right and left of him again the postern opened and this time there was a cheer of a sight of a man in hunting shirt and leggings and coonskin cap after him came a certain major hay indian enticer of detested memory the lieutenant of him who followed the hair buyer himself a murmur of hatred arose from the men stationed there and many would have shot him where he stood but for clark the devil has the grit," said Cowan, though his eyes blazed it was the involuntary tribute lieutenant governor hamilton stared indifferently at the glowering backwoodsman as he walked the few steps to the church not so major hay his eyes fell there was colonel clark waiting at the door through which the good creoles had been wont to go to worship bowing somewhat ironically to the british general it was a strange meeting they had in st xavier's by the light of the candles on the altar hot words passed in that house of peace the general demanding protection for all his men and our colonel replying that he would do with the indian partisans as he chose and whom do you mean by indian partisans the undaunted governor had demanded i take major hay to be one of them our colonel had answered It was soon a matter of common report that Clark had gazed fixedly at the Major when he said this, and how the Major turned pale and trembled. With our own eyes we saw them coming out, Major Hay as near to staggering as a man could be, the Governor blushing red for shame of him. So we went sorrowfully back to the gate. Colonel Clark stood at the steps of the church, looking after them what was that firing he demanded sharply i gave orders for a truce we who stood by the church had indeed heard firing in the direction of the hills east of the town and had wondered thereat perceiving a crowd gathered at the far end of the street we all ran thither save the colonel who directed to have the offenders brought to him at monsieur Bonton's. we met the news half-way a party of canadians and indians had just returned from the falls of the ohio with scalps they had taken captain williams had gone out with his company to meet them had lured them on and finally had killed a number and was returning with the prisoners yes here they were williams himself walked ahead with two dishevelled and frightened cureurs du bois two score at least of the townspeople of vincennes friends and relatives of the prisoners pressing about and crying out to williams to have mercy on them as for williams he took them in to the colonel the townspeople pressing into the dooryard and banking in front of it on the street behind all a tragedy impending nor can i think of it now without sickening the frightened creoles in the street gave back against the fence and from behind them issuing as a storm cloud came the half of william's company yelling like madmen pushed and jostled ahead of them were four indians decked and feathered the half-dried scalps dangling from their belts impassive true to their creed despite the indignity of jolts and jars and blows on and on pressed the mob gathering recruits at every corner and when they reached St. Xavier's before the fort, half the regiment was there. Others watched, too, from the stockade, and what they saw made their knees smite together with fear. Here were four bronzed statues in a row across the street, the space in front of them clear that their partisans in the fort might look and consider. What was passing in the savage mind no man might know. Not a lip trembled, nor an eye faltered when a backwoodsman his memory aflame at sight of the pitiful white scalps on their belts thrust through the crowd to curse them fletcher blount frenzied snatched his tomahawk from his side sink varmint he cried with a great oath by the eternal we'll pay the hair buyer in his own coin sound your drums he shouted at the fort call the garrison for the show he raised his arm and turned to strike when the savage put up his hand not in entreaty but as one man demanding a right from another the cries the curses the murmurs even were hushed throwing back his head arching his chest the notes of a song rose in the heavy air wild strange notes they were that struck vibrant chords in my own quivering being and the song was the death song i and the life-song of a soul which had come into the world even as mine own and somewhere there lay in the song half revealed the awful mystery of that creator whom the soul leaped forth to meet the myriad green of the sun playing with the leaves the fish swimming lazily in the brown pool the doe grazing in the thicket and a naked boy as free from care as these and still the life grows brighter as strength comes and statue and power over man and beast and then god knows what memories of fierce love and fiercer wars and triumphs of desires gained and enemies conquered god who has made all lives akin to something which he holds in the hollow of his hand and then the rain beating on the forest crown beating 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 the song ceased the indian knelt in the black mud not at the feet of fletcher blount but on the threshold of the great spirit who ruleth all things the axe fell yet he uttered no cry as he went before his master so the four sang each in turn and died in the sight of some who pitied and some who feared and some who hated for the sake of land and women so the four went beyond the power of gold and gugol and were dragged in the mire around the walls and flung into the yellow waters of the river through the dreary afternoon the men lounged about and cursed the parley and hearkened for the tattoo the signal agreed upon by the leaders to begin the fighting there had been no command against taunts and jeers and they gathered in groups under the walls to indulge themselves and even tried to bribe me as i sat braced against a house with my drum between my knees and the sticks clutched tightly in my hands here's a spanish dollar for a couple of taps davy shouted jack tyrrell come on you pack of rebel cut-throats yelled a man on the wall he was answered by a torrent of imprecations and so they flung it back and forth until nightfall when out comes the same faded scarlet officer holding a letter in his hand and marches down the street to monsieur Bouton's. there would be no storming now nor any man suffered to lay fingers on the hair buyer i remember in particular hamilton the hare-buyer not the fiend my imagination had depicted i've since learned that most villains do not look the part but a man with a great sorrow stamped upon his face the sun rose on that twenty-fifth of february and the mud melted and one of our companies drew up on each side of the gate downward slid the lion of england the garrison drums beat a dirge and the hair buyer marched out at the head of his motley troops Then came my own greatest hour. All morning I had been polishing and tightening the drum, and my pride was so great as we fell into line, that so much as a smile could not be got out of me. Picture it all. Then sins in black and white by reason of the bright day, eaves and gables, stockade line, and capped towers, sharply drawn, and straight above these a stark flagstaff waiting for our colors pigs and fowls straying hither and thither unmindful that this day is red on the calendar ah here is a bit of color too the villagers on the side streets to see the spectacle gay wools and gayer handkerchiefs there amid the joyous cheering crowd of thrice-changed nationality viva la Bostonese! viva Américans! viva monsieur le colonel clark viva la petite tambour viva la petite tambour that was the drummer boy stepping proudly behind the colonel himself with a soul lifted high above mire and puddle into the blue beyond there was laughter amongst the giants behind me and cowan saying softly as when we left go to it davy my little gamecock and the whisper of it was repeated among the ranks drawn up by the gate yes here was the gate and now we were in the fort and an empire was gained never to be lost again the stars and stripes climbed the staff and the folds were caught by an eager breeze thirteen cannon thundered from the blockhouses one for each colony that had braved a king there in the maori square within the vincennes fort thin and bronzed and travel-stained were the men who had dared the wilderness in ugliest mood and yet none by himself would have done it each had come here compelled by a spirit stronger than his own by a master mind that laughed at the body and its ailments colonel george rogers clark stood in the centre of the square under the flag to whose renown he had added three stars straight he was and square and self-contained no weakening tremor of exultation softened his face as he looked upon the men by whose endurance he had been able to do this thing he waited until the white smoke of the last gun had drifted away on the breeze until the snapping of the flag and the distant village sounds alone broke the stillness we have not suffered all things for a reward he said but because a righteous cause may grow and though our names may be forgotten our deeds will be remembered we have conquered a vast land that our children and our children's children may be freed from tyranny and we have brought a just vengeance upon our enemies I thank you one and all in the name of the Continental Congress and of that Commonwealth of Virginia for which you have fought. You are no longer Virginians, Kentuckians, Kaskaskians, and Cahokians. You are Americans. He paused, and we were silent. Though his words moved us strongly, they were beyond us i mention no deeds of heroism of unselfishness of lives saved at the peril of others but i am the debtor of every man here for the years to come to see that he and his family have justice from the commonwealth and the nation again he stopped and it seemed to us watching that he smiled a little i shall name one he said who has never lagged who never complained who starved that the weak might be fed and walk. David Ritchie, come here. I trembled. My teeth chattered as the water had never made them chatter. I believe I should have fallen but for Tom, who reached out from the ranks. I stumbled forward in a daze to where the colonel stood, and the cheering from the ranks was a thing beyond me. The colonel's hand on my head brought me to my senses. David Ritchie? He said i give you publicly the thanks of the regiment the parade is dismissed the next thing i knew i was on cowan's shoulders and he was tearing round and round the fort with two companies at his heels the devil said terence mccann he drummed us over the weather and through the weather and full he would have drummed the scalp from hamilton's head and the colonel had said the word By cried antoine le grice now he drum us on to detroit out of the gate rushed cowan the frightened villagers scattering right and left antoine had a friend who lived in this street and in ten minutes there was rum in the powder horns and the toast was on to detroit colonel clark was sitting alone in the commanding officer's room of the garrison and the afternoon sun slanting through the square of the window fell upon the maps and papers before him he had sent for me i halted in sheer embarrassment on the threshold looked up at his face and came on troubled davy he said do you want to go back to kentucky i should like to stay to the end colonel i answered the end he said this is the end and detroit sir I returned. Detroit, he cried bitterly. A man of sense measures his force and does not try the impossible. I could as soon march against Philadelphia. This is the end, I say, and the general must give way to the politician. And may God have mercy on the politician who will try to keep a people's affection without money or help from Congress. He fell back. Wearily in his chair, while I stood astonished, wondering, I had thought to find him elated with victory. Congress or Virginia, said he, will have to pay Monsieur Vigo and Father Gabont and Monsieur Gratiot and the other good people who have trusted me. You think they will do so? The Congress are far from here, I said. Ay, he answered, too far to care about you and me and what we have suffered he ended abruptly and sat for a while staring out of the window at the figures crossing and recrossing the muddy parade ground tom mcchesney goes to-night to kentucky with letters to the county lieutenant here to go with him and then i shall have no one to remind me when i'm hungry and bring me hominy i shall have no financier no strategist for a tight place he smiled a little sadly at my sorrowful look and then drew me to him and patted my shoulder it's no place for a young lad an idle garrison i think he continued presently i think you have a future david if you do not lose your head kentucky will grow and conquer and in twenty years be a thriving community and presently you will go to virginia and study law and come back you hear yes colonel And I will tell you one thing, said he with force, serve the people as all true men should in a republic, but do not rely upon their gratitude. You will remember that? Yes, Colonel. A long time he paused, looking on me with a significance I did not then understand. And when he spoke again, his voice showed no trace of emotion, save in the note of it. You have been a faithful friend, Davy, when I needed loyalty. Perhaps the time may come again. Promise me that you will not forget me if I am unfortunate. Unfortunate, sir? I exclaimed. Goodbye, Davy, he said. And God bless you. I have work to do. Still, I hesitated. He stared at me, but with kindness. What is it, Davy? he asked. Please, sir i said if i might take my drum at that he laughed you may said he you may perchance we may need it again i went out from his presence vaguely troubled to find tom and before the early sun had set we were gliding down the wabash in a canoe past places forever dedicated to our agonies towards kentucky and polly ann davy said tom i reckon she'll be standing under the tree, waiting for us with a little shaver in her arms and so she was chapter twenty